This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rep, and with me this week are two spectacular human beings, Kate Scotchless. Hello. And our brand new guest host, person of absolute amazingness, Kate Lamphere. <laughs> Hi. Thank you both for joining me this week. Kate, this is your first quote-unquote official episode. We did record a mini-sode that is airing next week, which is your first time on the show, I guess. But for those of you who don't know you, who are you and, and what brings you to comic books? What kind of stuff are you into, all that jazz? Well, Mike, you brought me to comic books. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Uh, when I was dating my husband, Brian, in college, you guys lived together and you recommended The Runaways to me. And... That was just a whole new relationship with me and this new medium, and now here I am on your podcast. You Woo. can't get rid of me now. Shit. <laughs> I am so happy because it's been very hard and stressful being the only Kate, like having to represent all Kates on this show. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. bringing more Kates. There are a lot of us in the world. There are so many. There are dozens. Um, <laughs> well, I'm bo- I'm super glad that you're both here. Um, Kate, welcome to the show. Kate Lamphere. I met the full name people this week because I need to be able to distinguish who's who. And, you know, audio just doesn't do a great job of that um, without being very specific about who you're talking to. If The people have the same sounding name. So I'm going to ask the question that we ask every single week on the show to get things started. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with Kate Lamphere. Um, I've been great. Very cold up here in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And comic books have been pretty good. I haven't had quite as much time to read comics as I usually like to have. My weekend's been pretty busy. Well, what kind of stuff have you been reading, Kate? I've been mostly reading day in the life kind of stories. I've got um, heavy vinyl and giant days. I've also got runaways, which is not day in the life at all. Right. <laughs> Speaking I of mean, runaways, again, it's back. Of- yeah. So real quick, that heavy vinyl book, it used to have a different name, right? Yep. It used to be Hi-Fi Fight Club, which I okay. was wondering if they had to rename it because of the movie Fight Club. But from everything I can find, that's not the reason. It sounds like they're going to expand this into more mediums or merchandising or maybe another arc or something. There's really not a whole lot of news out there. But it was the last issue when they renamed it. So I've got to imagine that there's something else coming. So number four was the latest issue then? Or the last issue, I should say? Yeah, it was the last issue of the four-issue mini. Okay. What did you think? What what, what were some of your favorite moments of these books that you read? Uh, Well, starting with Heavy Vinyl, since we're talking about that anyway. Sure. There's there's a little bit... There's a few scenes at the beginning where we see the characters at home, which is really nice because most of the time when we see them, they're at their store where they sell records together. So it was nice to see these characters outside of that normal element um, when they're with the people that are in their families, the people that they care about outside of the shop. Sure. And they kind of wrapped up this mystery that they've been working toward for the last couple of issues. And it kind of ends in a little bit of a, it's not a cliffhanger so much as a plan, I guess. Okay. Like I was, I was ready to look for number five because of the way that this issue ended and there's no number five that I can find. Oh, interesting. So I have to imagine that there's going to be another arc. 
Well, I've noticed with these boombox titles, like, for instance, I just finished Slam the Next Jam number four. Um, it's not a book that I was going to mention, but still, I just finished it, and that's a boombox series, and it's it ended on issue four, and that was the end of the arc, but it felt like there should have been more, even though they had a the end title at the end of the book. And I think the way that boom and boombox in specific have been building their stories is they kind of try to push them out in six issue or four issue miniseries to try to get a taste to see if people like them and if they do like them they'll do subsequent miniseries but there's never the requirement to say oh you have to pick up all these volumes to get the story which is really weird because i think that you do like if you picked up heavy vinyl you know, the second arc or whatever, Heavy Vinyl 2. Like, I feel like not having read the first volume would be very detrimental. So I'm, I'm really curious as to why they're doing that, but I, I'm not expecting you to have the answer. I'm just, I want to get inside the head of, you know, someone at Boom and ask them what's up. Yeah, Image has been doing that too, to that note, where they have a mini series and then they'll make what is a, a very much a second arc, but they call it just a different mini series and they'll do like a subtitle kind of thing for it, where it's like yeah. the same name as the first mini series, but then like a subtitle to know, so that you know it's different and market it the way that you'd think like, oh, this is a new thing, like it's a number one and all that stuff. But if you hadn't read the first mini, I personally, I think you'd at very least be missing out on a good chunk of stuff. But a lot of times I'm like, this is a second arc. It doesn't make any sense on its own. Like, right. I don't know. <laughs> that comic industry is changing, you know? I, I see the previews for this stuff sometimes, and they usually open the synopsis with continued from and then the previous series. Yeah. Which kind of blows my mind because if you're throwing a new number one at somebody, isn't that kind of problematic i i don't know i i feel like we also had this discussion in on the show where we talked about oh they should be doing you know dc or marvel or whoever should be doing seasons and you get a new number one every year and blah 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 and oh that's easy to follow but i don't think that that's any different than what we're talking about here uh, so I yeah mean, it, it depends I, on how you do it i think when we talk seasons we meant that then each season would be, have its own kind of reintroduction to the characters so that a reminder like some things that you could pick it up at season two or three or four at least that was my understanding Sure, sure. I don't know, Kate Lamphere, I don't know if you have any, any thoughts on that as well. <laughs> We're just going to dominate your discussion about heavy vinyl. No, the continued uh, st like stacks of mini mini series sounds a lot like Lady Mechanica, but I talked about that in the in the issue that we're going to be posting next week. So tune oh, yeah, in that's next true. week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, cool. Anything else you want to mention about what you read? Uh, just Runaways, but I know that you read that too, so I can let you talk about that one. Um, uh, okay. I well, I read, read it, I read issue days. five. I read oh, issue, five, issue five, so yeah, yeah, I'm an issue ahead. Hmm. I just went to the comic book shop. I wonder how I missed maybe it. I maybe I only read. Let me let me Google this real quick. Talk about something else while I'm googling. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Talk amongst yourselves. Yeah. All right. Well, I read Giant Days number thirty three this week, which was pretty fantastic. The girls, there's three main girls in the story. Brian, my husband, has talked about it on the show before extensively, and my feelings are pretty much the same. It's just a oh, wonderful okay. little book. And in this issue in particular, there's just these character like expressions. And they're just fantastic. Um, there's the landlord is really sad, but it's in a, like a teddy bear kind of way. You just want to hug him. And then their friend Ed Gimmel just has this like almost disgusted look in one panel where his entire mm -hmm. facial like features have sunken into his face and he's like turtling almost. Just <laughs> his whole face is just like retreating and it's just wonderful art. 
Oh, I'm so excited. I just read volume six of this, which I think covers up through issue 30 or something. So I'm a couple issues behind. I, I fucking love this book as well. And by the way, I did only read Runaways number four. I marked it down wrong because I'm a, I'm a dummy. It's okay. That so. just means I didn't miss an issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yet. Well, cool. Uh, Kate Scotchless, what did you read? What have, how have you been? All that jazz. I've been super stressed and busy because it was exams week this past week, but they're done Woo. and that's awesome. I celebrated Woo. by going to see Star Wars with other Woo. Kate at all. Woo! And Star Wars was how wonderful. Woos? All the woos. All the woos because I'm so glad. I'm off for like three weeks, which is amazing. That's um, great. Yeah. So I only read one book as a result of, you know, being busy studying all that. But it's huge. I This is one that I requested from Melcat, and then when it showed up, it was like 10 times as big as I expected. Uh, it's mm-hmm. an OGN memoir by Katie Green uh, titled Lighter Than My Shadow. It's She's British, and she does so she does all the art and writing. Mm-hmm. It must have been an insane amount of work. I would be interested in how long it actually took her to do this because it is oversized, like... I, I don't know the dimensions, but it is bigger than a normal comic book or in, bigger than a trade. And then it's like five or 700 pages. Like, so big and big, right? Big and thick, like in every way. It's a brick of a book. Um, but it was a surprisingly fast read because of how how much space she gives her art. Like the oversized format works well for that in that regard. It's actually a fairly fast read with not that much text on each page and large images and all that stuff. And it's fairly clean art where there's not a whole bunch of stuff. It's really character focused, uh, which Mm -hmm. makes sense for a memoir. And she's telling her story about developing an uh, eating disorder as a teenager and then her story between then and present day where she's in recovery. Um, and so it touches oh, on, yeah, it's a heavy book. Um, I would <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> recommend it for people who like uh, OGN's like Stitches, uh, which is another memoir about uh, traumatic type experiences or like Issues YA, uh, books like Winter Girls by Lori Hulse Anderson, um, stuff like that. It's we'll take those. We'll have to put those recommendations in the show notes. I've never heard of any of those. So that would be awesome if you have like a small list. So the stitches you should you should definitely read, Mike. You'd really like after your you read Mouse that you got for Christmas and you're so depressed (laughs) and you just need to know how Uh rough childhood can be. uh, You pick up stitches and then we'll never hear from you again. You'll just be a puddle of sadness in New York. Um, It's it's so good. good. Like it's incredible, but it is a hard read like that. Um, lighter than my shadow is not that intense. It's still sad, but like there's a overall happy ending. Um, right. It was really well done and really impressive from someone who has not done to my knowledge, anything else. Um, an incredible labor of dedication and talent. So I was really happy with that. Very cool. How about you, Mike? Uh, I read a handful of things. Like I said, I read Giant Days Volume 6 earlier today, but I don't need to talk about that. I think this is the official Giant Days fan club podcast at this point between myself, Brian, and Kate. Oh, and me. I I also read it in trades. It's wonderful. And and both Kate's. Both so cases. it sounds like we've got a Minnesota idea, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, with five or six different people on it. Perfect. Um, so, yeah, I read... Uh, I, I have some frustrated thoughts that I from one of the books, and I probably... I, Shouldn't go into them too deep, but I, I will, we'll see. Um, so I read Runaways, Runaways number four. Um, this book is perfect and beautiful and everything that I needed in a superhero comic right now. Rainbow Rowell, um, I have to credit her for like 
again, this issue, doing her homework, like really seriously getting into the heads of these characters and making me feel the way that I felt when I originally read Runaways. Like she gets these characters and that is so important when it comes to a book like this. Um, I can't express how happy I am to see all of the Runaways done like very well and written very well and consistent. It's it's unbelievable. I never would have thought that someone could pick up a book written by another art or creator and just keep that vibe going and taking it in their own direction because I think that she definitely has added her own flavor to the story. But by no means do I feel like it is doing wrong by any of the characters, which can happen sometimes, especially in Big Two. Well, yeah, usually they, it's their own take on the character. So while well, it might be still Batman, it's a very different Batman. And, you know, right. it's that per- we talk about, like, Scott Snyder's Batman versus Tom King's Batman. You know, like, it's a different flavor. So that is really impressive. Have you been watching the show? I have not seen the show. I haven't brought myself to watch the show yet. I don't know <laughs> how I want to... F- I don't know how to feel about it. Um I'm very much of the opinion, like, this should stay a comic book um, about this book for some reason. So, have anyways. Yeah, Brian and I have been watching it. I like it. It is mm-hmm. different than the comic book. Like, reading okay. reading the comic book, I feel, is like visiting your best friend. And, re- and watching the show <laughs> is kind of like talking to one of your friends at high school. Like <laughs> Does okay. that make any sense? Okay. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> totally does. Um, it might so be anyways, the same story, but it's a totally different tone and yeah. medium. Uh, so, yeah, and that's uh, see, this is that's what I'm worried about. So, Runaways, the comic book, this this most recent run has been fantastic. Uh, that's that's all I can say about. It. I don't want to talk about the plot or anything. I don't want to give anything away. Um, but yeah, let's see. I also read Aliens: Dead Orbit number four by James Stoko, which finally came out. Um, ended about as depressing and bleak as you would expect an aliens book to end but with the fabulous unbelievably beautiful art of james stokoe it's so gritty it's so intricate it's unbelievable that this guy could do this book by himself and yet he does so uh, if you're if you're looking for a cool aliens book just to like dip your toes in i think that when this is collected it's going to be a perfect example of a beautifully well-crafted book that's about you know this weird kind of ever-present comic book story aliens um, because the aliens franchise has been around for almost I think as long as the comic books and they're always really depressing and rough Um, and this one is no different than that and I think that's that's fantastic about it Um, I also read the Wicked and Divine Christmas special I don't really want to talk about the story um, any more than I should because I think everyone should read it if you're into Wicked and Divine this book is awesome if you're not warning there is a lot of nudity and and boy right oh boy is it it's so sexy <laughs> it's chris anka he you know he did this little one-off special story for the wicked and divine christmas special and it is just kissy fingers just beautiful um that's that's all that i'll say about that um finally i read gene gray number 10 this is don cates alberto albuquerque uh, mm-hmm. I don't really have any words for this. Uh, the what I wrote in our show notes is just a lot of fuck words, um, because I don't know what I expected out of this book. I saw the whole ending of this storyline kind of coming. I knew it was coming from from peripheral hear, hearing little tidbits and things on the internet, not wanting to pay attention to whatever the solicit said about the X Men books. Um, I know that this whole legacy thing has been building and building and building with Jean Grey. Um, but I'm really, really disappointed that this book got ruined by the legacy, um, by the whole Marvel legacy thing. I thought that Jean Grey as a character, Don Cates' writing, 
Jean Grey is a character I thought he was doing a stupendous job capturing this coming-of-age-ish story about someone who's not ready to be an adult but has no choice. Um, and I know that all things have to come to an end, but I didn't think it would come to an end so soon. Um, number 10 isn't the final issue of the series, but number 11 is. And I'm very, very disappointed. Um, on Like, really, like, not from, like, a story writing perspective, but just what the overall plot is. Um, because I have to read an entire six-issue miniseries before I can read the final issue of this book. And that sucks. Because it's all about the Phoenix. And it's all about... It's... Ugh, Phoenix can never die. I understand. It's like a whole thing. I should know this about X-Men books, and yet I'm still very frustrated by it. So my f- opening phrase in my notes was, what the fucking fuck is this fucking book fucking on about? Um, and that's still how I feel about it. That's ugh, pretty much <laughs> it. I uh, <laughs> dropped this book when I saw the crossover discussing is coming. Like I was not super thrilled with how the first arc ended, and then... Yeah. Saw like all the that it was tying into all this, and I'm like, ah, don't have money or enough motivation to keep going. So I'm really, really pleased to hear how upset you are. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I'm going to read the 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 Phoenix Resurrection tie-in book or whatever that they're writing for this. I I don't care. I know it's Matt Rosenberg. I know it's Lenel Yu, um, but I don't think it's something that I want to pull um, weekly. I might grab the trade when it's on super discount sale next Black Friday. Like, that's that's how much I don't care about what's happening with this. I'd like to read it, but by no means am I going to pick it up immediately. Um, I don't want to, I don't like being strong-armed into a book like that, and I refuse to do it. So, that's all I'm going to say about that. Let's move on to something that's far more pleasant. <laughs> Let's talk about comic books that are coming out. Comic books are being released on December 20th, 2017. What are your picks for this upcoming week, or I guess through the end of the year? I forgot to say at the beginning of the show, this is the last episode of the year for us. It's a Goodreads read, um, Goodreads pick of the month, I guess, and the next two weeks are just going to be mini-sodes because we have you know family obligations and things. I'm going to be literally driving across the country in a car for four days, so... You know, it's going to be a whole thing. I pray that I don't die on the terrible roads of the United States. The magic of her holidays. Yeah, we'll see. But nonetheless, um, comic books are coming out on the 20th. Uh, What are you excited for for next week, the week after, or until we come back in January? Let's start with Kate Scotchless. I am excited for Black Hammer Volume 2, The Event. Uh, I say The Event, like, but it's not an event. That's just the name of the volume is The Event. Uh, this is the series from Jeff Lee Meyer, Dean Ormstrong, and Dave Stewart. Um, so listen, like, my comic shop's website says this is coming out next week. But the but. publisher's website says a different date, and Amazon has an even different date than that. So who knows when it will actually be out. But what's really important <laughs> is that it's out for me, and I have time to read it now because Nick got this for me in singles for my birthday. On Comixology. Oh my goodness. He's such a sweetie pie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Don't let Nick know that you said that. I don't know if he's going to listen to this episode. We'll see. He's a sweetheart. I tell him that all the time. Um, (laughs) He's too too good, too pure. Uh, Yeah, so (laughs) I'm going to, that's like the first thing on my slate to read over break. I am really excited. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Essentially, the farm gets threatened when someone new from the outside world comes looking for the Black Hammer gang. Um, and changes the kind of, they had gotten to a kind of point where they're kind of like existing kind of thing and like everything's kind of 
chugging along and this comes in to stir it up mm-hmm. is is at least what i'm told by the website i have not read that read this so okay that's very me. cool I mean, Black Hammer is a fantastic series. If you're looking for some superhero stories that aren't the big two, it's got its own little universe. I love it. It is. I love it so much. I got it in singles for the first arc, but it was one that I decided, like, I ended up stockpiling them to read them all at once because I I, I feel like it reads better in trade. And so that's why I decided trade weight the second one. Mm-hmm. And then I got a birthday surprise, so I didn't have to wait. So thanks, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> Kate Lamphere, what are you excited for this upcoming week or soonish? I guess uh, I've got Misfit City number eight coming out on twelve twenty seven, so it's two weeks away yet. And I've been waiting mm-hmm. for this for what feels like forever. But what happened is that I loved the first issue, and then I bought the rest of them on subscription, and only mm-hmm. just recently caught up. So oh okay. <clears throat> So I'm very excited right now about it, and I still have to wait a week and a half. It's what written, is what is Misfit City? I've I've only ever seen like the covers for this, and I'm like, oh, this looks like Gravity Falls. Yeah, um, I love it. <laughs> it it's a comic book that calls back a lot to the the movie The Goonies, where it's got a treasure hunt story. It's got a very diverse cast of characters, and I really like that. It's a it's a boom it's a it's a boombox comic. And this comic just belongs with Boombox. It's diverse. It's got um, strong, strong female characters. Ooh. <laughs> um, it's got a lot of different subplots. It just keeps you going. It's it's a wonderful comic book. It's written by Kirsten Kiwi Smith, who was a writer for Legally Blonde, Ten Things I Hate About You, and She's All That. And okay. I loved... 10 Things I Hate About You to this day. And mm-hmm. Wiggly Blonde is always great, even on stage. <laughs> <laughs> so this was kind of just a natural comic book for me to pick up. And mm-hmm. the art is by, I'm sorry, Kurt Lustgarten, I think is how it's pronounced. And mm-hmm. Naomi Frank Frankwiz, maybe? Frankwi, maybe? I don't know. Their art is great, is, <laughs> is the point. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I, I like I said, I've seen the covers for this, and it always looks appealing. If this is the this is the last issue of the series, then? yes. Okay, maybe I'll just pick this up in one big swoop. Like it's always on my like, hmm, that looks really cool. Like every time it comes out, so maybe I'll just have to get all this with your recommendation. Obviously, that that's the only reason I would want to pick it up. Yeah, at this point, you could probably trade weight it. I feel like the trade probably isn't very far away after they release it, and it was very okay. good to just read all of in one sitting. Almost all of. Very cool. So. <laughs> cool. Cool beans. Well, um, for me, I'm excited for Maxwell's Demons number two. This is Dennis Camp and Vittorio Estone. We had Dennis Camp on the show a couple weeks back. We got a quote-unquote advanced preview of the book, which was really cool. I loved number one. Like, seriously, was like, holy cow. And hearing what Dennis said is coming in the future. And we didn't spoil anything, but just telling us that it's going to be uh, an anthology, kind of, but it's a continuing story if you read the whole series. I'm really excited to see how this book plays out, what else like Dennis has in store, um, and the art on this book is spectacular. Like, If you didn't grab number one, this is from Vault Comics. Um, it's a story about this kid who kind of, he, he has this imaginary world that he goes to, or maybe it's not imaginary, um, and he's fighting these evil enemies, or are they not evil? Well, it's, it, there's a lot of questions, and I, I think there, there was enough 
like resolve in the first issue and enough open questions to keep me interested for or issue number two. So I'm really excited for the rest of this series. Um, yeah, everyone should go buy Maxwell's Demons. This is such a cool book from an indie publisher. Like Vault Comics is doing some really, really solid work, and I think this is one of those books that is really kicking a lot of butt, as well as Heathen from Natasha Alterisi. I mean, and as well as a bunch of other stuff. I know um, Tia, who's on the show regularly, you know, she reads a lot of the Vault Comics books, and she's told me that they're all pretty solid. So go check out anything from Vault Comics, but maybe grab Maxwell's Demons. That's that's my recommendation for this week. I would also, if we're telling people what to go buy at this point, sure. um, there's an incredible Star Wars sale in Comixology right now. That oh, yeah, is that runs through, through the, the end of the year. Through the second. Yeah, it, it ends on January 2nd. And there are bundles that are an insane discount, like over 90%, where you're getting 20 trades for $20. And yeah. it includes new stuff um, after Marvel like took over and everything, or Disney, I guess. Um, old stuff, like whatever you want. There's all these bundles. There's all the different sales. You can piecemeal it together. And some of them are so cheap. Like a, some of the minis are $1.99 for the full trade. Like, uh, I... It's going to be bad. Like, I can already tell my wallet is going to hurt. I usually don't go in for sales on Comixology. Like, I'm not a big spender. I'm a, I'm a very library reader, right? But right. this one is so good. It's like, oh, there's bundles almost, in my future. It's super hard to pass this up, even if you've read some of these books. Yeah. Like, or if you're missing pieces out of your anyway. collection. Yeah, yeah. It's good to just kind of have that stuff. But yeah, that's uh, so many Star Wars. I mean, if you if you've already gone to see the new Star Wars movie, I mean, if you need more Star Wars in your life, that is the perfect excuse to get more Star Wars in your life. And you'll probably pay as much for a bundle as you would for a single ticket, at least here in New York. Um, <laughs> it's to get twenty trades for twenty dollars. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. So, go do that. We we are pro Star Wars comics podcast here. Yeah, all you other podcasts, get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As I said at the top of the show, this week is a Goodreads pick of the month book picked by us at the podcast. We are reading a very, very depressing book because it's wintertime and we want to feel bad about everything. This is a book championed by Kate Scotchless since it came out. It is a book called Snowblind, written by Ollie Masters with art by Tyler Jenkins and lettering by Colin Bell. This is a story about a family who is displaced living in Alaska, and I want to say before we get going, full spoilers for the entire run, if you haven't read Snowblind, stop reading, or stop listening to this episode, go read that book, come back, press play, and listen to this whole episode. So, first thoughts from me, I want to say I love Tyler Jenkins' art, I read most of part of Peter Panzerfaust, and it's really cool to see this guy doing something else. And in in specific, he's doing watercolors on this book, which I don't believe he did in Peter Panzerfaust. He didn't. So that's why I like this yeah. one so much more. Yeah, so it's really good, and I didn't realize it was him. I didn't realize I didn't put the names together in my head until I saw like the first real shot of our main character, and he had this big long face, and it looked just like the art from Peter Panzerfaust, and I got really excited um, because I couldn't stop reading this book. I got into it, and I just could not stop reading. So it was very, very good. I can say that. I liked it a lot. Um, I have some other thoughts about the book, but before I dive into that, Kate Scotchless, Kate Lamphere, what did you guys think about this book? Well, I love it, obviously. Kate, all right, Kate, you don't get to talk. Kate Lamphere, what did you think of this book? <laughs> I thought it was pretty good, too. Mm -hmm. 
So maybe All I right. can't talk Neither either. of you get to talk. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. No, no. Continue, Kate. Uh, I actually was pretty confused about the time frame for the longest time because one of the first things that I saw technology-wise was a typewriter. So I was like, okay, so this is sometime like maybe even like the 60s. And then sure. there was a ref. He was wearing a T-shirt that was a reference to The Incredibles, and I was like, "Well, that's not right. Something's wrong here." <laughs> so mm-hmm, eventually, mm-hmm. I figured out that it's more or less modern day, and he's just a hipster, which is oh, fine. Yeah. Oh yeah. But it was very confusing for about three of the four issues in the trade. Yeah, I was actually surprised at how short this book was, given how much I felt they needed to cover. But by the time I got to the last issue, I didn't feel like they needed any more story. Is yeah. that is that like a weird thing to say? Because it even by issue three, I was like, "Oh, where's this going?" But issue four did a very good job of wrapping things up, so I'm I was impressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I thought it really worked well as a mini. I also really liked how many animals there were in this story. There was almost oh, yeah. like a like an animal companion for every issue. Because issue one, you've got the fox that was actually like a like a plot device. And then mm-hmm. later on, you have the bear that's in the news that's going to like encroach on human land or whatever. There was a concern about it. And then you have an owl that it focuses on and then the elk that he, he goes out hunting with his dad for. And there's just there's so much wildlife in this book. It's I, I liked it. It was very enjoyable. There, there was a lot of things they did to make it feel like they're out in the wilderness in Alaska. Like this isn't your normal small town with snow. This is you're out in Alaska and it's really desolate and there's all this wildlife and like that kind of stuff. And I thought that was one way they did that well. Yeah, I know, Kate, this is like your second reading of the book or probably whatever nth reading of the book. But um, having... I don't think I really picked up on the whole witness protect- protection thing until they blatantly, like, said it. Like, I, I, I don't know what it was. I, it felt like his parents were just being odd and mysterious. I honestly thought there was going to be some sort of supernatural twist to this book. Um, and maybe I'm just, like, blurring the issues together. But I feel like I didn't really get it until, like, they, like, straight up told us. So when this kid figures out that his parents have been lying to him, he doesn't know his real name, um, like, the the... The potential for what was actually going to be done in the book um, seemed really limited, but I wasn't mad about it. I, I don't know what made me think there was something supernatural going on. I think like the 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 fox, like him, him making eye contact with the fox at the beginning. I was like, oh, there's going to be something about the animals and blah blah blah. It's like, oh no no, this is just a your kind of um, Fargo kind of story. Like it's a rural noir, and I'm, I'm stealing from yeah. from your phrasing, Kate, from your notes. But um, that's fine. And that's and I thought that was really cool because we don't. I feel like this book had a lot of directions it could have gone, but sticking to the very flat, down to earth, real life story um, was. I, I don't know. It seemed like I had this bigger, blown up picture in my head, and so I was pleasantly surprised to find it just being this kind of mystery story. Um, I really liked that about it. Like it, the the whole book itself felt very like it, it ended in a way that was depressing, but. I don't know, like there was some hopeful thing, but it all was just after this terrible, terrible mess, which again, kind of calls back to that that Fargo feeling in a weird way. Yeah, the what actually got me to pull it in the first place, um, A, watercolors, which I just love, 
um, but that it was pitched and promoted as a rural noir, which is a genre I really like. I really like the revival comics are another great example. And then books and Mm -hmm. movies like Winter's Bone and Fargo are, I just love it. Especially reading them in the winter when you're inside, but it's all cold outside and you're like in your blanket. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Winter's Bone was a great comparison to this comic. I've never actually seen that movie. Yeah, it's it's just a you know another winter murder mystery, but it had has the same kind of tone of you've got to kind of fend for yourself. Somebody's you know yeah. out to get you. I will you. say <laughs> it's one of the the very few examples of a time when I thought the movie was better than the book. So that says a lot. The movie's incredible. Gotcha. Yeah. See, I did no research apparently leading up to this book. I was just like, all right, let's dive into Snowblind, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, yeah there was. <laughs> I was like, snow, that's okay. yes, winter themed. Yeah. This will be cheery. Yeah. No. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Far from it. Like, it's very atmospheric, which is one of the things I liked about it, picking up each issue, was like, you, I fell into it so completely every time. And there's a lot of ways they do that from both the plot and dialogue type stuff in the art. Um, but it's very cinematic. It's very atmospheric. And then, like, very like this intense feeling of like isolation and dread and quiet like it's just kind of oppressive and bleak which is you know Christmassy I'd say um (laughs) (laughs) yes but there were a lot of ways and I think we all have notes on this of how they how they achieved that um to the point where I feel like you could use this in like a class teaching about graphic novels and look at Tyler Jenkins art and be like look what he did here to invoke this feeling um, like his use right. of blank space or like there's a, a panels where uh, Teddy, the main character, this boy figuring out everything that's going on is feeling so isolated and like everything's comp- just pressing down on him. And so he's this like small figure in this this field of black or really dark and it's mm-hmm. just completely engulfing him and it's oh, it evokes it so beautifully. I like the panels where you had that visual and then there was no dialogue. It was yeah. just his body language, this like kind of downtrodden, heavy weight on his shoulders, and then just no narration, no dialogue, just just him. I, I kind of felt like, though, despite all, I mean, there was, there was a lot of beautiful moments in this book, but I felt really spoiled by it because I've read so many other books that use this, a, a very like similar watercolor technique. Like if you've read, if you read, read Royal City right now that Jeff Lemire is doing, I, I felt like these books are almost comparable in the way that watercolor is used to try to like tell a lot of the story without actually using a lot of narration or dialogue. And I think Lemire does a lot more of narration and dialogue in general. Um, that's just his writing style. But I felt like I was reading a, a book in the same vein. So reading this book, I didn't feel like a lot of this was like super monumental because it's done by other watercolor artists. Um, and I don't think that, that should necessarily negatively reflect on the book because I think that this book does a fantastic job of of using the art to tell the story in a lot of ways. And credit to Tyler Jenkins, like I said, reading Peter Panzerfaust, it was very traditional comics. And then coming to this and seeing his, sim- his same style, but in watercolor was unbelievable to see the, the amount of talent that this creator has. Um, but I... I don't know if I got as I was impacted as much as you two because I have seen it in in other books, unfortunately. Did Tyler Jenkins do colors on Peter Panterfoss? I thought he just did pencils on it. And so it was someone else doing the colors. Or I no? think it was just pencils and inks okay. that he did because the book was black and white ish. 
And so it was just gray tones, if I recall correctly. Okay. No, there was there was some color. It was very muted. The whole Peter Panzerfaust book is very muted. So whoever's doing colors, I think, like they took a traditional comic style with that one. Like it's very like thin lines and very precise everything. Whereas this one was more, I don't want to say imprecise because I think that's a bad term. I, I would say that it's it's more like light line work and heavy paint work. In yeah. order to to get a lot of the book, which is which is nice, but again, that reminded me of Royal City scene that I had read Royal City before I had read this book, and I think Snowblind came out. It obviously came out at like a few years before, um, and I think if I had read this first, I'd have been like, "Oh, Lemire, you're just taken away from Tyler Jenkins in a lot of ways." Yeah, but I think other watercolor artists like this, like a Matt Kent or a um, Ray Fox, also use similar techniques to try to blow out various pages and stuff to try to uh, like shock you in the face with with art and color and stuff, rather than using their dialogue to try to emphasize a point. Um, and I I don't know if you can do that as well with traditional comic art than you can with something like watercolor because it's just like it's got a totally different feel to it. You can add heavies and darks and stuff in ways that I don't think traditional comic art does as well um, because everything tends to be a little bit more flat. Yeah, I think I would say Fox has a fairly distinct watercolor style from Jenkins just because Fox likes to go more surreal and do more like blurring of colors and blowing out to be more and more abstract. Oh, totally. I'd say, like, yeah, like you're saying, like, a lot of this is pretty, like, that's why I think you could use it for teaching a class, because it's, like, a lot of it is just, like, the perfect execution of the things we kind of all already know that are part of basically any visual art. Like, he uses blue tones to really evoke that empty and cold feeling, and then when he's, like, inside and with people and feeling less alone, it'll be, like, more oranges and reds and stuff like that, like, which is standard art. It's that he does it so well. Um, I like that Ali Masters doesn't get real chatty. I don't think it would have, with his dialogue, I mean. And he doesn't tell. Like, he does a beautiful job of showing instead of telling. Mm-hmm. And I think having characters talk too much, A, would have been out of character, but would have really changed the tone of the book because so much of it is about isolation and what's not said. The unsaid is, like, basically the entire uh conflict point right like that he's not told and people aren't revealing what they really know and aren't saying yeah. the truth so yeah. i th- i think it really works yeah the the thing that that really like got me was the the constant conflict that we felt near the end of the book where it's it's who's really the bad guy like murder is murder and right. so if you're committing murder it's bad regardless so who do you save in the end and the choice that I, you know that Teddy makes in the end of the book, you know, it's it's really bittersweet because he accomplished what he kind of wanted to do. Like, he figured out who the the baddest bad guy was um, in all of this. And, I mean, it, maybe it was fairly more apparent and it seemed more black and white to other people, but I felt like the whole last chapter of the book was very gray like it not yeah. not in color not in actual color but in terms of morality the more it was morally gray once you finally got all the details question mark like we don't even know if like everyone was so unreliable with their information it seemed like that you don't know like teddy had to make a choice and he made his choice and moved on from it and it still felt really bittersweet like no the good guy didn't necessarily win the good the, the character just managed to escape and maybe that's a happy ending 
I didn't feel like it was a happy ending. Like, it was very depressing overall. I think you're getting to the point, like, the whole thing is essentially a coming-of-age tale, right? Like, finding out that your parents aren't the people you think they are was kind of taken to the extreme and that they're quite literally not the people you think they are. But that's a a standard coming-of-age thing, right? And so part of it is him learning that there's no real good guys and bad guys, that it's all that, you know, shades of gray, which is becoming an adult, right? Realizing that the world isn't that stark... Um, like you think when you're a kid with, you know, heroes and villains and all that. And so right. I think that is very purposeful and also very genre where like that's that's a pretty key point when you're doing these. But they did totally. it so well. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say by any means that this was like a poorly written book and that that, that wasn't clear. I think that it was just... Oh, I don't. I don't know what I was expecting out of the end, <laughs> and then and then the book ended, and it like I said, it went. It ended well, but it still left like a, a hollow place in my heart. Like just like, oh man, that's really gross. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, in in ways that like it wasn't, it wasn't satisfying in the same way that like at the end of the day, the heroes beat the bad guys. Right. Um, and I think you get that out of these this perfect description of a rural noir. Um, Kate, that you used, and I, I feel like other people have used it, but um, well, I mean, their um, marketing team used it, so that's yeah, not me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do, do you guys have any other any thoughts about like the the way that the 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 cop who shows up? I can't. I didn't write down anybody's names because I'm a butthead. Um, but the cop who shows up, like that character's portrayal, like he seemed. It, it, like he he was fleshed out very very quickly, and then he immediately like doesn't become necessary to the ending of the plot you know like he i don't know like it's mm-hmm. it seemed like he was he was way he was just like this guy who just kind of shows up and in the story he suddenly goes from like this just kind of stalker dude to this crazy badass who's blowing shit up outside of their house like or the cabin that they had like i feel like the the ending escalated very very quickly and what the true ending was you know with teddy and his dad and the in the the cop and the gun like I feel like there was there was this unnecessary action sequence in order to build to an ending um, that was could have been solved in a different way. I guess how did you guys feel about like the ramp up to the end of the book? I think the whole character of the cop Trent was kind of conflicted, almost like he he was this guy who was out for revenge because his family had been killed, but at the same time he was really fatherly toward Teddy when he went to visit him in the hospital. He was like giving him advice and being like, don't, um, don't lose yourself in this or whatever, you know? Um, yeah. Don't don't choose the wrong side, be a good person. And at the same time, here he is in this town to murder someone. So again, like what you, you were saying with it's, it's not black and white. He's a gray character. I don't know. I think that the whole scene in the woods at the end, I think that he was necessary for that. I don't think that that would have worked out if it was just Teddy and his father. I think that there needed to be this third person that was yeah. acted upon. Yeah, I guess I, I guess what I was getting at is that like it seems... Like they needed the, the, the third character. I think they... I'm not trying to like tr- critique that necessarily, but I think that it could have been... They could have gotten to that point without all of the like seemingly over the top action and explosion. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to like tear this book down. I just, that, that, that scene felt kind of out of place with the rest of the book is I guess what I'm getting at. I think everything coming to a head 
is a choice, right? Like that it com- comes to that and it's not solved differently. Um, I liked it. I agree that it could have been done differently. I don't know that it would have been better differently. I think it just would have been different, sure. right? You're you're changing the tone of the book at that point. Just like if they had made things more clear, like it's an ambiguous book and then that like builds and all that stuff. Like, so, I mean, I really liked it. I I thought it worked. I agree that you like I hear what you're saying. The part that threw me was like everything's super in character and then Teddy goes and rents a car and he's like a teenager. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't oh, I know yeah. you're in Alaska. <laughs> there, but I don't buy this for a second. Sure, there yeah, was yeah, definitely yeah. a couple of things that just didn't seem correct. It's like it yeah. was like bad editing or something. Like he was Yeah, well the book is like it's very very down to earth except for a couple of things like that like right. i totally get with you yeah i totally agree with you there i i was kind of just like all right i guess he got a car question mark like he yeah. did he steal his parents car did he rent a car that was did another he, reason like, that steal i thought a car it was, from someone else that was another reason i thought that this took place in the 19 like 60s like maybe there weren't laws about how old you had to be as long as you had a license or something you right know? right but yeah the the panel was just like he rented a car and left home and i thought that that meant that he like moved out in the space of a day and also oh, rented yeah. a car in the space of a day. Yeah, there was a couple like ambiguities like that that like you kind of roll with as you read it. But when you're like stepping back and kind of analyzing it like right now I'm like, oh that's is maybe that was a little weird. Like this mm-hmm. that didn't click and it worked for the story because Teddy needed to be able to get to the cabin, he needed to be able to do all those other things, he needed to be able to get into town. Um but could that have been solved in like a more logical way? Maybe are the details that important in order to drive the story? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it did feel like kind of out of left field. And I think I, I mentioned this in my very simplified notes is like, there was a lot of lefts and rights in this book. Um, like at random, like it did, there didn't seem to be any, like there was no traditional, like, and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens. It was like, and then we're going to go left turn down this weird alley and this crazy thing's going to happen. And it's not so much that it's like huge action, but just it, the unpredictability of this book, which I think helped drive it a lot. Um, there was a lot of just very left and right, weird tangents where conversations start to happen or things like he's like Teddy's logic to go out and do certain things seem kind of all over the place. But then again, Teddy as a character seems scatterbrained to begin with. And I don't think that that's bad writing. I think that that's just being consistent with the character, which helped make the story unpredictable. You know what I mean? You're talking about a teenage boy. So him being impulsive and reckless and inconsistent and not knowing who he is and acting like different people at different times. Like that's kind of like, that fit to me. That actually worked well, I thought. Where yeah, it's like, I, yeah, this I kid's totally trying agree. to figure his shit out, and it's all over the place right now. Of course, the car issue could also, <laughs> yeah, the car issue could have been solved by his mother having a car, right? Like, like there I was like no his, reason for yeah. it. Yeah, his mom well, definitely I mean, got the shorter than the stick in this comic. <laughs> I was gonna say Teddy's mom was like almost, and I, I, sorry to say this, but like she was almost an unnecessary character yeah. in in some ways. Like I feel like Teddy's dad. It's it's a story about a boy and his father. Sure, I get that, but then like why include the mom in the first place you know if that's what the kind of story that you're saying and i'm i realize that may sound shitty but um she really did get the short end of the stick sorry i don't mean to like jump on your point but you're totally right no there really wasn't a good role for a woman in this comic because you've got a couple of sex workers you've got the mother who's not respected and doesn't own a vehicle or leave the house Mm -hmm. and then you Mm -hmm. have the fbi agent or no the witness protection program agent lady but she yeah. does it. She get killed or something? Like there isn't, there isn't a positive role for a woman in this comic. 
or anybody, I guess. I mean, yeah, I was gonna say who has. <laughs> I guess thinking about it, no this one. Is, yeah, this is a book where no one's a really good guy and no one's yeah. a really bad guy. I mean, it's very. Yeah. I wouldn't take any role models out of this book. Yeah, yeah. Not a single one. <laughs> I mean, what this book really teaches us is the lessons about the evils of social media and their real danger. Oh my gosh, Kate. <laughs> that See, that's is, what starts I, everything. I, I so, mean, it's totally true. And that's that right there should have like placed it placed it in time, right? The the whole oh, yeah, I posted you're this right. picture and then it went viral. Um, you're totally then, right. Like, I just like forgot about that. Everything else becomes weird. Yeah, like there's cell phones except for there's... No, there's was there any cell phones in this book? Well, yeah, I, that everybody was, was on thing. their phone at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This this is another classic case of if only they had a cell phone, this yeah. could have all been fixed. Um, Listen, the reception is terrible in Alaska. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can just write that out. That's fine. Um, yeah, so I guess the the only other thing to say about this book, I mean, like Kate, you brought this up in the break um, that this is being adapted by Fox Studios to potentially be a TV show. Do you know anything more about that other than like maybe yeah, that it's happening? So uh, yeah, it, it it got announced. Um, if you guys remember, Twentieth uh, Century Fox TV like bought a minority share in Boom Studios, and they've announced a whole slew of things that they're doing TV shows of, like Hacktivist and all those. Uh, and this was one of them announced at that time. So I don't know anything about when it will start or anything like that. But they announced that it's going to be gotcha. an hour-long witness protection drama adapted by Vaughn Wilmot. He's the guy who did Prison Break, um, Dominion, and Sons of Anarchy. So that should give mm-hmm. you like some idea of what they actually plan to do with it. I would expect it's going to be more action, darker, more bloody, like that kind of that Classic kind of Fox Studios, right? Stuff, yeah. Exactly. Um, from their description of the show and who's on it, it does sound like it's going to be a fairly loose adaptation. Like they're taking the idea of witness protection in Alaska and like getting caught and then turning that into like a suspense thriller show or something. I don't know, but maybe it'll be okay. I don't have high hopes. <laughs> when we come back after our break for you know. Uh, Christmas and New Year's or the holidays and New Year's um, there we are doing an episode about how quote unquote how to fix comics and talking about the industry that turns out a bunch of stuff and yet we struggle to pay creators so my question I or the thing that I'm hoping I guess out of this is that you know Tyler Jenkins and Ali uh, Masters and Colin Bell I hope they get their share for this book because this should. is a creator own book yeah they should um, have rights in it so if this show takes off I hope that they actually do well by it because oh, wait, that's, it's not image it's boom it's Boom, yeah, yeah, So yeah. is it creator-owned? I believe, I feel like, I, I don't know how Boom does the licensing, but I think that these original books are creator-owned, you know, because we've got very heavy creator-owned books made by people like Jeff Lemire and Matt Kent, who I know are very harsh about their I own this thing, doing books with Boom. So I'm guessing that they'll still get the rights to that. I hope so. At least, fingers crossed. But anyways, I guess final thoughts on Snowblind. Would, who would you recommend this to also? <laughs> uh, let's, I don't know. What are your final thoughts, Kate Scotchless? I definitely would recommend it to people who like rural noirs or just mystery fans in general, but it it follows the tropes of rural noir. So if that's something you're into, like you really like Fargo, um, I think is the most pop culture example. If that is your cup of tea, but also in general, if you like beautiful art, this is only four issues. It is a quick read. I, yeah. I just recommend it to people. I'm like, you like comics? You like nice things? Like, how? go be sad for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is another example of one of those books that's like, hey, this is comic books aren't for kids. I mean, I know this yeah, is kind of a no, dead trope, sure. but this is one of those books that kind of says, hey, look, we can do a serious story in the comic book medium, and this is proof. 
Uh, what about you, Kate Lanfear? I'd recommend this to somebody who is familiar with comics as a medium and is already a comic book reader and wants to kind of expand their base or experiment with new types of like a subgenre or something. It's not something I'd recommend to somebody who, like for their very first comic book. It's kind of a okay. lot. Okay. I got <laughs> oh, you. Well, I and to you. that end, in my experience of trying to like rope friends and family into the comics world, it doesn't use um, standard panel structures all the time, and that makes it really difficult for newbie readers to follow. Oh, uh, sure. So to that sure. end, I would agree with Kate. Cool. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, you. I think you both nailed it on the head. I think this is a this is a solid book. Like it, it very much is a good book. If you haven't read Snowblind, I highly recommend it. If you want a quick read, if you can find it on sale, I mean, really, it's not even that expensive as a as a solo book just to pick up at will. If you see it at the at the library, if you see it at your local bookstore, and you think, hey, I want something that's different, this is a really good book to sit down and read. I think I would put this at the same in the same place as a book like Plutona. If you haven't read Plutona, it's it's a very cool, like, I wouldn't expect this kind of book to be so short, given how complex the narrative could potentially be, but it's a good sit down and read for an hour, hour and a half kind of book, if that, and it's one of those books that's really hard to, to put down. So if you're looking for something new and, and different, um, this is this is definitely a good example of that. Um, so, okay, so let's let's wrap this thing up. Um, where can people find you on the internet? Let's start with you, Kate Lamphere. Um, I'm on Twitter at Kate Elfier. Um, just check the show notes. <laughs> yes, check the show notes. Smart. <laughs> what about you, Kate Scotchless? I'm, I'm Kate Scotchless on Twitter. Cool beans. You can follow me on Twitter at, at Mike Rappin, Instagram Mike Rappin, all that stuff. Don't follow me anywhere. Just follow me on Twitter. That's where I post comic book related things for the most part. Um, you can also follow the show at IRCB Podcast. We retweet stuff, post polls. I didn't post a poll this week because I'm a butthead. So I got to do that after the show. Um, and it'll be something fun and, and unique. Um, I don't even remember what I posted last week. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much, that's the internet for us. Uh, you can check us out on our Goodreads group. We have weekly threads about what we've been reading. We have monthly show uh, discussions and discussions in general about interesting things like uh, if we're into New 52 Batman or not. And oh, I don't remember all of them, but there's there's just good discussions with, with cool people. Everyone's very chill. Uh, you can also check us out on our website at ircbpodcast.com. Uh, you can rate and subscribe and tell your friends about us. We're on uh, the iTunes and Google Store. Mike, where are we? Yeah, we're pretty much everywhere on the internet where you don't have to pay to host your RSS feed or whatever. So it's Stitcher and TuneIn and PodBay.fm or Podcast.fm. I don't know. Almost all sorts of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Podcast.com apparently is a thing. We're on there as well. Great. Um, you can also email the show at ircb at destroythesybe.org. Cybe.org looks like cyborg with a period in the middle. Good job, Mike. Totally. <laughs> uh, Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander is officially a wizard this this year. Thanks to Kate Lamphere for getting this beautiful or making this beautiful scarf for him. Says he's a fantastic human being. He's not a robot. And he's an actual wizard. He also edits this show, but he has this full official title with a scarf that says so. So thank you to Kate and thank you to Xander for being just amazing people. Uh, finally, I want to say thank you to everyone who listens to the show, subscribes, tells their friends, who continues to 
interact with us on Twitter and stuff. We've got a lot of really interesting stuff coming up in 2018. Thanks to the Kickstarter. Thanks to all of the people out there who keep sending us stuff and talking to us online, recommending books, talking about books with us. We're going to be doing a Q&A session once every quarter is what I'm calling it. So four times a year. So if you have questions or you want things for, for us to talk about on the show, we're going to be doing entire episodes dedicated to that stuff. We're going to be playing around with some of our Goodreads stuff about and how we do these Pick of the Month shows going forward. We're going to have all that coming, plus our third annual episode that we're going to just be hanging out, drinking beers, and talking about the show in general. So look forward to all of that in 2018. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening and being the best fans for the best comic book podcast out there. Until next time, we will hang out with you and talk about comic books again in the future. Thanks. I don't know how to end this show. I, Xander happy was like, Mike, holidays. don't do that thing. Yeah, happy holidays, all that. I don't know how to end this this show. And then Xander gave me, he was telling me that I need to say something different. And I'm already jazzed up and sweating because I'm so excited sitting here at my computer. I just didn't know how to do it. Enjoy your Mike. winter holiday, everybody. Yeah. yeah have, have a good winter break and don't get too cold. Enjoy your New Year's, all that stuff. And if you're working retail, bless you. Stay oh, strong. Bless. Oh, my goodness. <laughs>